Confronting current marketplace issues surrounding the cannabis industry. Welcome to Cannabis Realities, represented by the law offices of Brock Eichler, LLC. Go inside current marketplace issues with insightful interviews from the thought leaders making the case for cannabis. Podcasting from the Garden State of New Jersey, Cannabis Realities, represented by the law offices of Brock Eichler, LLC, is now in session. Here to make our opening statement is our lead counselor, Charles Gormelli. Welcome back to Cannabis Realities, where our mission is to deliver insights and reliable information from thought leaders who have demonstrated expertise in the wide spectrum of issues that are encountered in cannabis business and in the cannabis reform movement that's sweeping the country currently. Today, we're really fortunate to have Vikas Desai uh, as our visitor and guest. Uh, He's the founder and principal of WellCan Capital, a leading private investment firm in the cannabis business space. WellCan Capital focuses on both early stage and growth opportunities in both plant touching and ancillary companies in the cannabis business space. WellCan Capital's mission is to maximize returns for investors while driving lasting responsible change through smart investments. And you really can't ask for anything more from your investment partner than that. Welcome, Vikas, and thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me on, Charles. So, Vikas, tell us a little bit about WellCan and how it came to be so highly regarded in uh, the cannabis space as a private investment vehicle. Sure. Um, so, you know, we started WellCan a little over two years ago uh, and been looking at the cannabis space for about three years. Um, and really, you know, started taking a hard look because of my family's um, you know, business in, in the healthcare industry and saw a lot of crossover, one with um, the ability for cannabis to improve quality of life and patient care. Um, and then two, you know, obviously it was a, a large growth opportunity. Um, and, you know, after spending a ton of time um, observing the space, you know, I realized that there was a void of capital, especially for you know, early stage businesses and, and the ancillary ones more typically. Um, and given my background in investing, um, you know, I thought that this would be a great way to start dipping my toe and getting exposure into the space um, and, um, you know, figuring out, um, you know, how best to you know, understand the various verticals. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years, we've built a portfolio of 18 companies, but there's one portfolio is ancillary and the, uh, the rest is plant touching. Um, we invest in you know, a variety of sectors um, or verticals across the cannabis industry, um, you know, mainly in seed and series A type opportunities. Um, and have really, you know, looked to companies that are led by strong management teams. You know, um, companies are solving critical problems in the space and helping build that foundational infrastructure. Um, yeah. You know, one of the th- one of the things I think that's interesting in in your business model and uh, particularly in the cannabis space, is you've got a business opportunity that's growing uh, on a state-by-state basis and growing pretty quickly on a state-by-state basis in the context of a national environment of continued cannabis prohibition. So while the federal government may have created some safe space uh, for some of this activity to happen on a state level, or at least they're waving a white flag to indicate they're not going to be prosecuting people engage in state-level activity, they still haven't opened up the banking system for the cannabis industry. So that has to create a tremendous opportunity 
for you to be able to identify uh, opportunities in the cannabis space. Do you see it that way as well? So, yeah. So, you know, I think that with dislocation in the cannabis space, that's what creates opportunity. Um, It also creates constraints, right? So from an investor standpoint, you know, the fact that you're dealing with a schedule and control substance, the fact that you can't transport goods across state lines and you have supply chain issues and and trace and track issues, um, you know, it precludes traditional capital providers and just, you know, uh, you know, people who don't want to spend the extra legwork, um, you know, learning and understanding the industry from getting involved. And with that, you know, creates opportunity for folks like myself. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I think as those constraints go away, um, you'll see more institutional capital and more people, you know, come into the cannabis spaces. They feel comfortable um, about, you know, operating in this industry. Um, so, you know, whether, whether, whether dislocation is, uh, you know, makes it interesting from our perspective. Obviously, it makes it challenging from an operator's perspective because, you know, all the things that normal businesses take for granted, um, you know, they have to, you know, they have to deal with, right? They, 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 they can't get access to normal business services in the same sort of, um, you know, uh, in the same way, right, that a lot of other companies and other sectors can. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a balancing act, right? Um, right. Of, us being able to find those opportunities, but it also makes it more challenging to conduct business. And at the end of the day, you know, for us to ultimately drive, um, you know, returns as an investor, you, you know, you're going to need exits and the landscape for exits will only, will only open up when these constraints, um, you know, go away. So there is a time horizon sort of, as we think about investing in the cannabis space that, Initially, you know, uh, it makes it more interesting, but uh, over time, we're going to want to see the opening up um, and the easing of some of these constraints in order to ensure that, you know, the buyer pool opens up and, you know, the people um, who have capital and who are looking to invest in the space open up because then that creates more opportunities for liquidity. Cannabis Realities will return after this brief recess. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. 
This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Cannabis Realities is back to cross-examine the issues affecting the cannabis industry. Only on CannabisRadio.com. I think it's uh, one of the really interesting uh, aspects of your business is the, and I guess it's the risk reward quotient, is you have to be able to uh, pick winners and losers in this marketplace in a very, very challenging business environment uh, where you've got state level uh, barriers as well as federal level prohibition still out there. From a standpoint of the listeners of this program who are interested in getting into the cannabis marketplace, what do you look for uh, in perspective operators and operations in the cannabis space that would attract you to a particular investment vehicle? Yeah, you know, so it's interesting as a early stage fund, um, you know, we see a lot of opportunities and we say no to a lot more than we say yes to, right? So um, out of all the opportunities we see, we probably end up transacting on, you know, uh, one out of a hundred, right? Um, and so we're very thoughtful about, uh, you know, where we deploy. But even then, um, it's still a challenging landscape to navigate because um, you're you're investing in companies that are at you know the early days of you know their business formation and their growth. Um, and so from that perspective, we really look for a couple sort of main uh, main pieces of key criteria. Um, one is just you know the people that we invest in. Um, and the quality of the management teams, right? So we're, we're trying to understand, um, you know, what industries do these management teams come from? How do they, you know, how well do they work together? Um, you know, have they had experience of prior success? Do they bring domain expertise? Um, and, so, and, and, and how do we think about their character and their ability to adapt? And I think, um, you know, it's, that ends up being more of a, um, uh, more of an analysis of just getting to know the person, so which is why we spend a lot of time uh, in diligence with our portfolio companies um, rather than just making quick decisions. Um, because I think in this space, more than more than other spaces, uh, you may you know you may end up finding things that you didn't anticipate. And so I think it's very important to to be able to spend that time um, kind of with the management team you're going to you know you're going to invest in. And I think to the to the last piece of that of the management team. Uh, component. Uh, it's it's something that's been very um, apparent, you know, kind of with the COVID crisis, right? Which is um, you take this view on the team's ability to adapt and how they're going to navigate change and how they're going to, um, you know, what you know, what's their what's their moral you know compass? And situations like COVID really accelerate your understanding of what that's going to look like, right? So we have a a 10 year, 10 year horizon or fund, I, I always anticipated kind of at some point during those 10 years, we're going to have a down cycle. And so you're going to see a lot of true colors, right? Uh, it happened a lot sooner than we anticipated, but it's also good from the standpoint, it makes 
our life a bit easier because we can sort of, you know, either reaffirm, um, you know, the way that we made decisions on which management teams to back, or we learn new things about the management teams that we've backed. Um, and, you know, and we can refine our criteria sort of moving forward and saying, Hey, here are the things that we should look out for. Here are the things that we've, you know, maybe good indicators. Um, at the end of the day, it's impossible to know the future and it's impossible to know, you know, how things are going to, you know, um, develop over time, which is why there's risks. So risk. So even though you invest in one out of a hundred companies, there's still a tremendous amount of risk moving forward and you're investing in these companies for multiple year spans. Um, it's effectively like a marriage, right? And so, uh, you know, that piece of the criteria I think is super important. Um, and then, you know, the other sort of, you know, main thing that we focus on is, is product market fit. Um, you know, we, we like to understand that, hey, this business is solving a critical problem in the space. Um, they're, they're doing so in a differentiated way. Um, they've got, you know, a product or service in the market. They're generating some revenue. They've got a customer base. You know, they don't have to have all of those things, but they've got it. They've got to show something that the marketplace is receptive, you know, to the solution that they're providing. Um, and that there's a fit um, because a lot of times you'll see companies, you know, may understand the problem they want to solve, but they solve it the wrong way. And the marketplace, you know, says, hey, that's not actually what we want to see. Um, and that's where you can get stuck. And so it's important for that, for us to see that validation. Um, and, you know, the, the last thing, you know, for us is also just, you know, the economics and making sure valuations make sense, making sure deal structures make sense. You know, I think people don't give a lot of credit to portfolio construction um, and especially with, first-time fund managers or second-time fund managers. Uh, it's something that like you either, you know, spend a lot of time learning about before you start or you sort of learn on the go. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the mistakes get made. So uh, we're very thoughtful about reserves, deal structures, kind of what our pro rat allocations look like. Um, and all of those come into play when we think about making an investment decision. So, um, you know, it, it, the challenge ends up being that most of the time you end up with, um, you know, you end up with getting two out of those three criteria and therefore you have to say no to certain deals. Um, so when you find all three, when you can check the box across um, each of those pieces is when you can say, Hey, we've got something that we might want to invest in. And where, and where have you guys had your most success in terms of that, that it's long, um, and arduous courtship process where you're evaluating these various uh, opportunities. Where, what states have you guys seen the best, uh, your best success so far? Well, you, you know, so on the ancillary side, a lot of those companies may start servicing a, a, a single state, but, you know, quickly start servicing customers across multiple states. And that's the interesting about the thing about them, right? They can, you know, cross state lines because they're selling software or they're selling a piece of hardware. Um, and so, uh, from that perspective, it's, it's less of a state by state question on the licensed operator side, you know, um, we've, we've really focused on single state operators who can take advantage of a certain dynamic happening in their state with a large addressable market. And, um, that's where we've seen, uh, the most success because those companies end up being sharpshooters and not trying to do too many things at once. And they really intimately understand their core market. Um, and they've got a pathway of how they want to create scale in that market, which is the most important thing, um, because ultimately, you you know you want to have leverage, um, you know, in in from a business operations perspective, and you want to be an attractive asset 
um, to either be acquired or for you, you know, you to acquire other assets with, right? And so, um, that's where we've seen some success. Um, you know, honestly, look, it's still early. Like I said, we have a you know a ten-year horizon, and we're two years in. Um, you know, but ultimately, um, where I realized, um, you know, where we may see sort of the best successes moving forward is where, um, you know, we've able to you know develop that relationship with the management team. You know, they're responsive to all our questions. They're not they're you know not withholding information. You'd be surprised the amount of people that sort of you know at a certain point say get turned off or aren't willing to sort of engage in that deep dive with you. Um, and so the people have the right mindset um, to start is important. Um, you know, teams that are receptive to feedback, I think are very important because, um, you know, we don't know the answers. We don't think our management teams know the answers. So like, you know, it's, it's a learning process for both parties and we try to bring the right people involved, you know, within our network to help our management teams as well. And so everyone's got to have an open mind, right? Everyone's right. got to be willing to learn. Um, and, uh, and what, you know, not think that, you know, their way is the only way and the only right way. And I think that, you know, uh, creates, uh, potential issues down the line. Um, and then I'd say, you know, just the businesses that are really solving critical problems the right way, right? Like they've identified it, they've optimized for it. Um, they've built a product, um, that just, you know, solves all the core problems and then solves all the incremental problems just a bit better. Right. And as operators, um, you know, the operators will realize the nuances and the differences because they understand their pain points on a daily basis. And so the best businesses that we've invested in are the ones that um, actually um, have built a product centric customer focused solution that's incorporating kind of all the needs and wants and building a solution truly for the people using it not just something they've come up with in their head, right? And that's sort of the, the nuances or that extra step that gets taken, right? A lot of people can identify a problem. A lot of people can then say, okay, here's how I'm going to solve it. And a lot of people, a lot of people can build it. Um, or, you know, a smaller portion of people can build it. And even smaller portion can build it the right way. And then even smaller portion are going to build it, you know, because they have the insights from the people who are using it, right? And then are constantly iterating on it. Um, and, and so when you get to, you know, that, that end point is where you end up finding sort of the the technologies or services or products um, that emerge as clear winners in their category. Right. Do you, in, in, in doing this due diligence from your investment decision standpoint, do you have any, or does Wellcan have any institutional bias in the marketplace toward the medical uh, regimes or the recreational side of the product? We don't have a bias. Um, you know, ultimately there is an addressable market question. And so when you have markets that are recreational, um, you know, consumption and usage goes up because more, you know, larger percent of the population is purchasing cannabis products. And ultimately that creates a larger addressable market. Um, and so obviously those, you know, those dynamics make it more interesting from a, well, how, you know, how big can this com company get? Right. Um, Cause that, I think directly, ultimately correlate to, you know, returns. Um, but it's not a bias if, uh, you know, if there's something that someone's doing in a medical market that we think is very interesting um, that can get extrapolated out into other markets. It just happens to start maybe in a small market. That's not an issue at all. Ultimately, it's more about what's the pathway to get to scale and what's the pathway to get to the addressable market. Um, 
So yeah, like, you know, are there small operators in medical markets that have no pathway to, you know, increasing in size? Those are probably not a good fit for us, right? Right. But then there's also operators in medical markets um, that are on the cusp of recreation, um, uh, you know, uh, recreational loss passing or on the cusp of doubling or tripling the medical market size, right? And those are interesting markets to participate in. Um, especially from like a plant touching operational perspective. Um, but on the ancillary side, you know, you could build something that services a super small market, but Hey, if you're servicing it the right way and those, you know, people all over the U S and all the other record, you know, recreational medical markets have that same problem. He's going to apply, right? You may right. need to tweak it, um, you know, uh, just to navigate maybe you know, different regulatory constraints on a state by state basis. But ultimately if it's an issue and, you know, it's, it's likely an issue for a lot of people. Right. They, you know, we had a recent discussion sort of picking up on that, where, where the marketplace is going to go uh, with Andy Williams, who um, founded MedFarm out in Denver. Now, they're the first licensed uh, research facility out in Colorado. And the discussion I had with him dealt with looking at the way the industry has been hobbled by a lack of appropriate research in terms of really investigating the medicinal qualities of the plant. And so they've invested very heavily in creating medical grade research with the ability to do uh, real clinical trial work in this country was something we, the industry's never had the benefit of. Do you see uh, on the medical side of the equation that the industry has been hobbled or at least constrained by a lack of medical research? And are there opportunities on the research side, do you think? You know, it's an interesting question because, I, look, I, I think there's been a, a little bit of research that's happened. I think the problem is that research is generally publicly funded for the most part. And so because you're dealing with a Schedule One controlled substance, you either have to, have to get, you know, sort of um, the blessing of um, of the government, right? Um, and, um, you know, to, to be able to move forward, right? And then the challenge is a lot of institutions that generate, you know, get a lot of public money uh, are, are sort of leaders in research. And I think until those constraints are lifted, it's going to be hard to really pursue research on mass scale, um, there's definitely research happening, um, but, you know, not to the scale that once again, any other sector would be able to benefit, uh, you know, the, or the way the other sectors benefit from. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's something where like, I'm a big believer in the medical properties of, of, of cannabis. And like, we don't we're really just scratching the surface, I think in terms of, um, you know, the information that we have uh, about the plant and I think it's very important for us to continue um, providing pathways and ways to do this research because I think there's a lot more that can be uncovered and then a lot more that can inform both medicine and consumer facing products. Right. Uh, and so that's where I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of opportunity. Uh, it's just going to require, you know, lifting of some of these obstacles. Um, right. For sure. So let's, let's take a short break for a commercial message. I want to come back and, and talk to you specifically about real estate opportunity and where we are in New Jersey. Cannabis Realities will return after this brief recess. Yo, 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 this is your boy, TJ, Shrimp, that James. You're listening to Dr. Bino on Cannabis Confidential. 
People were so excited to see you supporting our industry, and it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to. That was my first one ever going to, so that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think who look down, per se, on what we enjoy. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Cannabis Realities is back to cross-examine the issues affecting the cannabis industry. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Okay, we're back with Vikas Desai of Wellcan Capital. Uh, Vikas, you know, real estate uh, has always been a very important part of growing industries. Obviously, it's part of the investment uh, quotient sometimes that you're looking at in, in making uh, real estate and investment decisions in the cannabis marketplace. I mean, real estate is challenged on the retail level now. We're all sort of experiencing, and particularly during this uh uh, coronavirus, sort of the Amazoning of the economy. How do you think that's going to affect you looking out uh, four or five years from where we're at now? Is it a challenge, opportunity, paradigm in the cannabis retail distribution space? Uh, and I and I say that because when you look at some of the more mature markets, you really see the presence of disruptive kind of technology uh, centering on you know, decentralizing a particular retail location and with emphasizing uh, more delivery services, more uh, client demand driven services. Are you seeing that in any of your marketplaces or are you being confronted with that as you make investment decisions? Yeah, you know, so there's definitely fundamental change that's happening right now, um, you know, in terms of how consumers are going to purchase product. Um you know, the, the biggest driver of this is, I think, you know, how long we're going to be in this COVID world, because the longer we are, the more likely you start seeing uh, new habit formation, right? Because then there's repetition of action um, and people sort of, you know, realizing that this is, sort of, you know, this is the quote unquote new normal. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, I look, I, I think there's a tangible component to cannabis that people will always want to, um, you know, it, have that customer physical experience or something unique um, about that experience. Um, you know, with that being said, uh, customers also prioritize convenience. So, 
Um, you know, do I think that retail still has legs? Um, yeah, you know, 100%. Um, uh, do I think that uh, customers may be more inclined to start using, um, you know, delivery uh, and pickup services kind of coming out of COVID? Um, yeah, I also, I also think that, that you're going to see that fundamental shift. And so the way we think about the world is um, if you're seeing that shift, uh, you know, how do you start preparing for that? Whether it's, you know, invest, you know, investing more uh, in, in businesses, more focused on driving, uh, you know, e-commerce or delivery, um, or the fact that, um, you know, you, uh, you know, you, you focus on developing omni-channel approaches um, with your operators, right? And realizing this is not a one-way street anymore. It's a three-way, you know, four-way street or three-way street. And, you have to have a retail presence. You got to have a wholesale presence. You got to be doing some delivery. Um, you know, you have to be doing a little bit of all of it, right? And so, um, is is the way to capture, you know, capture consumers and and sort of stay top of mind. Right. Um, but yeah, so you know, I I think that this is a fundamental shift that we're seeing, not just not just across, uh, you know, cannabis, but you know, the whole world. Um, because there are things that people thought they couldn't, they would never del- get delivered that they're now getting delivered and realizing it's okay. Um, and so it's just, you know, accelerating the adoption. Right. Now, so one of, we talked about this a little bit earlier about the, the bipolar nature of the marketplace and particularly the banking system. In a way, the, the, the private investment vehicles that you manage and direct uh, sort of t- are benefited in a way by the fact that the cannabis industry doesn't have direct access to capital. Uh, do you think that uh, if that loosens up and if if cannabis industry is treated more like a traditional business, uh, how does that how does that play into where the private investment vehicle uh, uh, will be in the marketplace? Look, I, I think there's always going to be a need for private investment vehicles. Um, uh, you know, I think that I mean, look, I think you're just going to see a lot more of them, right? Um, right. And then you're going to see more competition. I think the benefit mm-hmm. that we have right now as an investor is that there's limited competition. You know, I, I always used to say this, which is, um, you know, if I had started a, you know, uh, like a typical sort of software venture fund, right. It's all, you know, what's going to allow me to differentiate myself. You know, it's highly competitive. You're competing with, you know, Sequoia and benchmark and, you know, Lightspeed and all these kind of, you know, big names. Um, and it's a lot more challenging, right. Versus in the cannabis space, it's, you know, there's this, you know, this smaller group of cannabis funds that have been, you know, and then, and then high net worth and family office individuals who have been effectively, you know, funding on the equity side, um, a lot of these businesses. Um, and so look, I think this time is really important to develop a track record. I think it's important to, um, under, you know, develop that sort of sharpshooter mentality. Um, I think by the time the landscape opens up, um, from a you know a investment management perspective, it's going to be very clear kind of um, you know who the winners are and, and who and who aren't right, and I think right. those fund managers will survive and and so more sure. like in the same way you're seeing a culling of the cannabis um, um, the cannabis operating sort of company landscape, you're going to see the same thing with uh, sure. with investors as well, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's really just a matter of like performing um, and, you know, consistent performance and, uh, you know, getting to that next step. Just one, one final area I'd like to like to ask your opinion about is we here in our garden state, um, uh, we're going to have a ballot question in November 
about creating an adult use marketplace here. Uh, what interest are you seeing in the New Jersey marketplace in anticipation of that? You know, it's, it's an interesting question because I think that when the first New York, I mean, sorry, New Jersey um, uh, medical expansion happened and sort of like the, uh, you know, the thoughts of legalization, you know, call it two years ago, um, was approached when, when, when Governor Murphy took office, um, generated a ton of demand, right? And a ton of, you know, everyone wanted to be a part of it. Um, given how small that, uh, that expansion was, and given the issues that a lot of license, you know, potential licensees face and the costs associated with it, I think the second round ended up being, you know, not as hype. But you know, I think I think people were still very interested and involved, and 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 wanted to be a part of this industry. Obviously, none of those licenses have gotten issued because they've been held up, um, kind of with lawsuits. And so, I, I sort of think that you're you're. And then, you know, while that's happening, recreational, like, gets to the finish line and doesn't, and gets to the finish line and doesn't. And so um, I think there is an element of fatigue that's probably going to play in to certain people who are going to say, hey, like, this is my third go at it. Like, is this actually going to happen? I don't know. And I don't know if I want to, you know, um, pay the fees and carry the real estate and do all the things that I have to do you know, without certainty that I'm going to be able to get one of these licenses. Right. And so I think you're seeing, you're going to see definitely a bit of that. I, I sort of balance that with, um, look, I think the polling is positive. Um, and so I think if it's on the ballot, assuming that we actually all are able to get out and vote, um, you know, or there's at least a, you know, a solution via electronic or, or mail-in, mail-in voting, um, that like it should pass given right. sort of the polling suggests that. Right. Um if that does, and I think there's going to be even more, uh, you know, interest and pressure for it, um, because, um, you know, because what's happening around states like New Jersey is that, you know, they're losing out on tax dollars, um, from, you know, coronavirus, given the massive drop in demand. And, and, so certainly, and we certainly, certainly know that we're going to need the, the uh, revenues uh, uh, after what, what's been happening with this pandemic. And I can tell you that the, the one thing that's absolutely certain is that um, when New Jersey uh, gets to the finish line and creates this adult use market, WellCan Capital is going to be at the forefront of the private investment vehicle. Because I, I can tell just from our discussion, Vikas, that uh, you you understand the marketplace, you're evaluating market opportunity, and uh, nothing would be better, I'm sure, for you than to shorten your commute and just have to drive down the parkway a little bit to visit your investors as, as, we, as we grow <laughs> the investment vehicle in New Jersey. I'd like to really thank you for taking the, the time today. Uh, and as promised, I know this this period of time moves very quickly. And hopefully when New Jersey opens up, we'll be back and, and uh, talk a little bit further.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.